like to think that that statement that was on there will continue to be true. We will always remember, but not sure if that's the case. I'm not sure that that's going to be the case in the United States where we will always remember. I had two grandfathers that served in World War II, and, and uh, they both came home. But my dad served in Vietnam, and he came home. But there were many that served in those wars, in World War I, Vietnam, Korea, that didn't come home. And I think it's important to keep the distinction between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Uh, we will recognize Veterans Day when we celebrate that, the men and women who served here. But I think it's important to remember those who gave their lives and didn't come home. And um, not sure that in our schools today this is being emphasized enough. I would say it's probably not. We need to pray for our educational system in the United States. Um, how quickly people forget. And one of the things that I thought would never be forgotten would be 9-11, but it's kind of even by the wayside there too. So as a person who appreciates freedom, I do, and I hope you're one that appreciates freedom. Uh, we thank the Lord for these men and women who have given their lives so that we could be in this place today and to be able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, This morning, we're pretty full. Plate's pretty full, a lot to do. Um, wanted to uh, take some time this morning to uh, acknowledge uh, one of our young ladies who's graduated from college. She's already graduated, and uh, we want to acknowledge uh, her today. She received, um, I thought this was hilarious in one sense, I'll explain that in a minute, but she received a degree in psychology from Birmingham Southern. She's trying to figure out her father. Robbie, that was just too easy. I had to do that. Um, she has, a, has well received a minor in sociology and a public health studies distinction. And she plans on continuing her education and pursuing her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, which will be a tough field to enter. So um, we want to acknowledge uh, Natalie Roberts this morning, her accomplishments. So Natalie, I'm going to ask you to come up. And if your family would like to come up here, I'd like for them to do that. I've got something I want to read. So, um, Marie, you, you, you Well, this is Marie down here, and this is Natalie's grandmother, Gina's mom. She's sweet. Sweet lady. We're glad you're with us this morning for this. I wanted to... Um, read some scripture the Lord had put on my mind uh, for this specific occasion this morning and uh, this is for you Natalie for you to consider and um, I know when I say hey I want you to consider this you know I usually do that every Sunday I'm not sure how much consideration goes on but I would like for you to really consider what's being said here because the great part about this is God's word and it's enduring and abiding and um it comes from Colossians in the third chapter. And he's talking about the behavior of a believer. And he says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, 
put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then it closes this section, Ellie. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. It's a very rich section of scripture for all of us to consider. But I wanted you to consider it because graduating from college is a, you know, that's a big deal. It's the next step. And uh, Robbie expects you to pay for everything now. So uh, we want to thank the Lord for you and for your family and just thankful that uh, you've accomplished this. And we'll be praying that the Lord will use your degrees that you receive ultimately for his honor and his glory in helping others. So why don't we have a word of prayer and dedicate Nellie to the Lord. Father, I just, uh, I was thinking as, I was preparing for this morning and just thinking about Natalie. Uh, I've known Natalie a long time. And um, just to see, Lord, how um, you are continuing to do your work in her, I pray, Lord, that, that she would recognize when your spirit is speaking to her. We know, Lord, that you tell us your spirit leads us into all the truth, so... I pray that you would would be Natalie's helper and lead her into all the truth. And as she continues to pursue further education, as she has opportunities to use um, the degrees that she has to 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 find a job and and Lord to use the things that she studied, I pray that central to everything that Natalie will never forget that she belongs to you and that ultimately the answer for every person in this life is Jesus Christ and so I just pray that you would uh, be with her as she continues to move forward and what you have for her uh, we thank you Lord for the just the support that she has from her grandmother and from her sister and from her parents and God I just pray that you would truly be at the center of her life and that she would honor you in all that she says, Lord, and all that she does and uh, that she would do everything to bring honor and glory to you. And so we thank you for this great accomplishment and I pray that as a congregation we would be faithful to lift her up. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen. Congratulations, Lord. You know, some of these kids, I met them in the hospital. <laughs> They're just growing up. Um, this morning, we're privileged to have um, Sarah Nichols with us. 
and uh, we're thankful that she's here. Obviously, she's here to visit her family and enjoy time with them, but she's going to come up now and give us just a brief update with her ministry at YWAM. So. minutes but even though uh, there's a lot of my family I'm more of the talker of the family so oh well, not if you can't hear me so it doesn't really matter um, but anyway I'm Sarah I think there's probably people here that don't know me but I'm um, I'm David and Melinda's daughter um, I'm Rachel's sister I'm Ava's aunt I'm a lot of different things but uh, I've worked in ministry full-time for 11 years now. Um, in the last six years, I've been on staff with a ministry called Youth with a Mission. And so YWAM is how it's, like we say it in ministry. Um, but it's one of the biggest missionary organizations in the world. Um, by location, I think it is the biggest missionary organization. There's like 1,500 campuses, bases all over the world. And so I'm on staff with the Orlando base, which is a lot of fun. I know that's like suffering for Jesus in Orlando. Um, but it actually is a lot of fun, but it is a lot of work, too. Um, the main thing that we do is we have missionary training schools. And so um, one of the schools is called a discipleship training school. And what we do is for five months, we have students come from all over the world um, and from the U.S., and they come and they study in Orlando on how to become a missionary, basically. Um, and so they spend three months in Orlando studying, learning about um, different topics. Each week will be a different topic of teaching for them. We have teachers that come in from all over the world. And then for two months, they go overseas for an outreach. And I've gotten the privilege of working with those teams. I've been able to lead um, trips to South Africa, China, uh, Dominican Republic, Jordan, England, like all over. Um, and one thing that we've seen, I just, I was praying about speaking and I felt like the Lord was like, just really talk about like the people that come, but the students that come that want to know, do these schools, they are so on fire for Jesus. Like, I think a lot of the time, this generation, looking at you, Audrey, gets a bad rap for being snowflakes. And that's just not true. And we kind of need to crush saying that because when they learn, like, the purpose of who they were meant to be in Jesus, they are unstoppable. We have students that come that, like, I see their eyes light up during the Bible week. Like, we have a whole teaching on overview of the Bible and students that have no idea they grow up in the church and they still have no idea like why was it important that the you know Davidic covenant and all that kind of stuff and their eyes are just glowing and they're smiling and they're like I didn't know that about David and I didn't know Moses was like you know a Hebrew before and like I thought it was Egyptian like they just grow so much in these schools that we have for them and so I think one thing that I've just been it's been an honor is to walk alongside these students and to see how much they actually do really love Jesus. Um, and I think it's just crazy all the things they're going to get to do and go in, into the world and sharing the gospel and stuff. So if you have young people that are, you know, kind of figuring out what they want to do with their life or interested in missions, um, let them come talk to me. I love talking to young people. And I love the idea of people wanting to go and do missions. And whether it's for five months or whether it's for, you know, the rest of their lives, their lives are going to be radically changed when they do the school that we have. Um, but for me, what I do at YWAM is I work with the schools. I do discipleship one-on-one -on -one with the students, with the girls. I lead teams overseas. Um, but recently, I've been working a lot in our um, office. So a lot of the stuff that I do is more backbone ministry now. So I do a ton with, like, application processes. Um, I talk 
to probably like 100 plus students every day, calling them on the phones and work with their applications. I work with their references. I do all that kind of stuff. And um, it's actually been really awesome. I get to know the students before they even arrive. And I'm one of the first people that's able to start the discipleship process before they even get there. And I've actually been able to even like um, pray for salvation for people over the phone. I've gotten to share the gospel over the phone. I was able to talk to a, um, a Muslim man in England that I called who just showed interest. He didn't know what you know a discipleship school was. He was just this Muslim guy in England. And I called him on the phone. I was able to share the gospel with him. And he was like, I did, had no idea that this is what this was. And I was like, yes, this is what we do. We share the gospel. And so we like shared the gospel with him and prayed for him. And he said that he is actually on the verge of suicide when I had called him. And so my prayer, like, the Lord used me to be able to, like, encourage him and not, to, like, to s literally stop a suicide, which is just how God uses us every day when we call our students and stuff like that. So it's a different kind of ministry right now, but it's something that the Lord is using like crazy when we call our students. So y'all could be praying for that whenever we call students ahead of time that, like, there's so many things that we get on the phone that are just crazy situations so prayer for wisdom and discernment on how to handle those but um i'm actually about to head to uh hawaii i'm suffering for the lord <laughs> um but i'm going uh, for a leadership training there so i'm going to be there for a month i'm actually helping another ywam campus with their application process and their admissions process helping them um with I don't know, getting students through their system, stuff like that. They need help with um, all the systems. And so I'm helping them with that um, for three weeks. And then I'm actually doing a leadership training um, that they have there called 21 Project. And it's a uh, preaching and teaching leadership training. So I'll be doing that for two weeks towards the end of the time um, with another ministry that's kind of part of YWAM. So that's what I'm doing right then. And then when I get back, I will jump into helping with our fall students that'll be coming. Uh, we'll ha we already have 100 students uh, planning on coming uh, to our schools in um, October, I think. And so I'm supposed to set up to work with those schools. And then most likely next year, I'll be overseas for about two months. And I'll come back and then I'll go back overseas for another two months. So <laughs> it's a little bit crazy, but I love it. And it's just an honor to be able to be supported by a church that loves me. Most of my friends at YWAM do not have home churches that support them. Um, it's just rare, honestly, for them to have a whole church that would like want to support them. So all my friends are always like, can we come to your church? <laughs> they always want to come up and, and be here because they always feel really welcome when I come home. And y'all always do an amazing job of that. So thank you so much for all the support and stuff. I love you guys. Um, that's pretty much it. Can I pray for the church? I want to pray for y'all, like, as a church. Is that okay if I pray for everyone real fast? Okay, cool. I just want to pray. <laughs> Jesus, I just thank you so much for Grace Community, God. I thank you for just who each person here, God, you've created them to be um, little versions of you, Jesus. Like, you have gifts and vision and dreams inside each one of them, God. Like, Natalie graduating from college, like, she's going to, she is going to rock the psychological world with what you have for her, God, and all these other things going on, Lord Jesus. I just pray a covering over this church, God, protection, and just your blessing over them, Lord. Let us be bold as lions for you, as witnesses for you, Lord Jesus, and always remember um, who you created us to be, God. In your name, amen. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, good morning, guys. Let's all stand and get ready to worship the Lord together. Sarah said that the students love Jesus, and that's why we're here, right, to express our love for the Lord. Uh, Chris Tomlin says that uh, worship is not so much about singing as it is about seeing. When we see 
and how much we owe the Lord, how much grace he lavishes on us, how glorious he is, then that we're moved to sing and worship him together. So let's do that this morning. Guys, this first song is about Jesus as Messiah. Um, as we're thinking about Memorial Day, many have given their lives for our freedom and for our security. Um, but there's only one, there is only one life that has been given for the souls of men. And we know that, that is in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And so um, we live in a world that's plural, right? Uh, it tries to tell us there's many ways to God. Um, but Jesus has declared himself to be the Messiah. He says that he's a ransom for many. And, and that is who we worship together. And let's sing about him. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the Ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, the Lord of all. And he became sin who knew no sin that we might become. His righteousness, he humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so The 
awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is Thank you, praise team. Not to embarrass you, Savannah, but you have a great voice. We thank the Lord for the talent that He's given so many of our people in the building. And if you are talented and want to sing, there's a place for you. Don't come see me, but you can see Ron, or you can see Brian, D. You can see one of them, and they'll be happy to, to plug in. You know what we get to do today? Worship. We get to study the Word. Aren't you excited? Good. How much time have you spent in the Word this last week? I want you to take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy in the third chapter. Chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 5 is one section. We have a chapter break there, but in some ways it's unfortunate that there is one there. But this section is all about the Word. So we get to study it. Paul certainly wanted Timothy to dwell on it. It gives him a lot to consider and gives him a lot of commands. <laughs> I think there's five that we'll look at in this section. We'll just look at one today, but that one is in verses 14 through 17. Let's read it together. You, however... Now, in the original language, it's stronger than that. If your translation has, now you, that's better. 
New American Standard kind of is light in that, which typically isn't the case, but might not mean a whole lot to you. But there is a definite transition that Paul wants Timothy to understand. He wants him to understand he's not like those imposters and those evil men who are deceiving and being deceived, um, right, and impacting and influencing whole households. So he's saying, hey, look, you're not them. Now you. This is what I want you to do. In the first imperatives here, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate. And that's kind of a weak translation. Adequate to us is just like barely good enough, right? The, the term there is complete. That, that's just better. So that the man of God may be complete or fit, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. That is going on right now in the church. We're not waiting for that. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He's piling on, isn't he? That's a lot to think about. Let's pray. God, we need your help. Thank you that you help us. Thank you that your spirit lives in all of us who belong to you. Lord, I know my heart's really full today because this is just a great passion, I guess, of mine is that your word would be opened and there just seems to be a lot of substitutes today and it concerns me. I'm thankful to hear what Sarah said, that there are young people who desire to hear the truth, but maybe they haven't been privileged to grow up hearing it. Help us, Lord, to um, learn so that we might be better equipped to serve you in Christ's name. Amen. What's your favorite food? How often do you indulge yourself with that food? Like, if I was to top three, I mean, I know what my top three are. It's steak, love steak, and wings. Mm. 
I'm going to make you really hungry before you leave today. And I love shrimp. Yesterday I was at the SEC baseball tournament. Just in case you want to know, the Razorbacks are in the championship game today. So we'll be leaving early. No, just kidding. It's one of those things I was thinking, you know. But next year I'm going to have to remember to do something. Next year, or maybe even today if I get out there, but they have a lot of LSU fans out there. I mean a lot of LSU fans. So I'm walking toward the stadium, and I have my Razorback shirt on, you know, and I, there's a couple of tents there, and there's these LSU fans, and, and of course, LSU lost the other day. Sorry, George, but that's the case. And, uh, but listen, those LSU, they don't go home. I mean, they're out there, and listen, and when they cook, it's the real deal. And I walk by, and I just kind of looked, and I was like, well, that looks good. She said, well, honey, would you like some? Every bone in my body wanted to take some. It was jambalaya. Any of you ever had jambalaya? Crawfish pie? Filet gumbo? Mmm. We could make a song up. Isn't there a song about that? So I like seafood. I like steak. I like wings. And I often indulge with those. So I was thinking, you know, the Bible tells us we're to eat the Word, right? We're just to eat it. So I'm thinking, well, I don't know about you, but I, I indulge in the things that I enjoy, and I eat steak, and I eat wings, and I eat seafood as much as I can. And So I started thinking about that in relationship to the Word of God, and, and how often do I eat God's Word? You know, the, the best piece of steak, the last bite's there. You know what's so great about the Word? That when you're eating it, it just keeps giving. And giving, and giving, and giving. I've often believed what Peter Held said years ago to us as students, and I've never forgotten it. He said, if you do something 23 days in a row, you'll continue to do it. I have no idea where he got that statistic. I don't even know if that's true or not. But it stuck with me. And I thought, you know, it might be assumed that believers are every day in the book. And it should be that we are every day in the book. But isn't it a difficult question when I say, are we in the book every day? And are we in the book as much as we need to be in the book? I want to warn you that this series... um, you know, it doesn't end today. <laughs> I mean, you don't think I'm going to cover 3, 4, 14 through 4, 5. And if you do, you haven't been sitting here long. I'm just going to go until the Lord tells me to stop. that be all right? You're like, oh, no, we could be here till 4 o'clock. We won't be. How does this sound to you? All Scripture, every word of it is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient for doctrine and life. How do you like that? You like that? So if it is sufficient for doctrine and life, then could we say this is what we need? Could we say that? 
Could we say that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness right here? Then why don't Christians believe it as much as they should? Now, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm pointing it at the church worldwide. I don't think there's enough concentration when it comes to life and problems in this book. I just don't think there's enough of going to the book. And I'm not saying that's true in your life. I am saying at times in my life there have been incidents where I've known the answer to the issue but have ignored it. Any of you ever done that or just me? Because we know what the Bible says, and as we mature in the Lord, we know the answers. You know, people ask me from time to time, Thad, should I give to the Lord? That's an awkward question. Yes, in short, is the answer. So every believer should be giving to the Lord, true or false? Bible's clear about it. Would we say that? So, every believer should be giving. And just a quick little commercial you can't outgive the Lord. Are we using our Bibles? Are we using our Bibles? We are this morning. (laughs) But are we using our Bibles? I like this quote. Man, I think it just needs to go like somewhere all over this church. It's an awesome quote. Vance Havner says, A Bible that has frayed edges usually has an owner that doesn't. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's one of those, I was like, man, that's a keeper. Well, how much are we in the book? When I was at Southeastern Bible College, they gave us a, like a schedule of what we're supposed to read in the Bible. And we got the Old Testament survey and New Testament survey. And Old Testament survey, they said, we want you to read the Bible. All the Old Testament, 39 books, all of them. That's the requirement for this class. We got to New Testament, it was 27 books. I don't remember being challenged as much to read my Bible as much as I was at Southeastern. I know my mom and my dad would challenge me in that, and they did. But I was challenged more as a young person. And then I just kept changing my majors because I wanted to be in the book. I didn't necessarily want to pastor a church. I was like, I'm not going to do that. But I do enjoy studying the Bible. So I went from secondary education to Christian education to pastoral theology. I don't know what I thought I had to do in pastoral theology, but one of the things that we had to do was preach. I was like, I don't want to do that. I just want to study the Bible. I enjoy studying God's Word. I have a hunger and a thirst for it. All the time like I should, no. But neither do you. 
Why? Because we're human. There's one imperative in this section, okay? In verses 14 through 17. One imperative. And the imperative is stay in the book. Look what he says in verse 14. You, however, now you, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So, the instruction to Timothy is stay in the book. That word means to remain or to continue in. Continue in the book. So what's he saying to him? What's he saying to him? Well, C.H. Spurgeon says, No one ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. But the question comes up, Why did Paul want Timothy to stay in the book? Well, he says to Timothy, you were taught the right things. You were taught the right things. Were you taught the right things growing up? Did you come from a home? And, and remember, like, we don't know how blessed we are if we grow up in a home um, where the word is, is just given to us all the time. But now that we're older and we look back and go, wow, you know, if you grow up in a home where the Word of God is disseminated on a regular basis, you're very privileged. Well, you know what? Timothy was privileged. We know that because back in chapter 1 of this letter, it tells us about his family. We know his father was Greek, but it says... In verse 5 of first Tim, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Timothy was privileged, wasn't he? To have a grandmother and a mother who invested in him the scriptures. Not only the things that Paul taught him, but... I believe here he's pointing to the grandmother and the mother. Because look what he says in the verse. You continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Notice that's process. Become convinced of. Knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. So we look at this text and we go... Wow, Timothy, you had a grandmother and a mother who invested the scriptures in your life. Are you doing that with your children? You know, the best meal you can feed your children is the word of God. How often? Well, they eat three times a day, right? And some teenagers eat four and five times a day. So maybe as a father, then feed your children at least once a day spiritual food. Mothers, feed your children. It doesn't always have to be steak and potatoes. It can be the book. By the way, children don't know that they need it when they're like this. Give it to them. 
Because when they get like this, they know everything. And by this time, they've been influenced by the psychology of the world. And their thoughts are all over the place. So he tells him, you were taught the right things. Could you tell your children right now, continuing the things that you've learned? Could you tell them that? I think it's something to think about. Because one of the things that I think has happened, unbeknownst to some in the church, is that sometimes people walk away from sound theology. Happens. And sometimes it happens to people that you think, I never thought that would happen. I never thought they would leave this church, which has sound doctrine, to go to this church. When you inspect this church's doctrine and you look in the cracks and the crevices, it's not too good. They have churches on the outside that look great, and even on the inside that look great. Examine the cracks and the crevices. What's being taught to your children if you allow them to go somewhere else, that's your choice. But check it out. Is that fair to say? Check it out. Check out the cracks and the crevices. I think you're going to find in some places that there's damage there. I just encourage you to think about that. As you think about teaching your children, what are you teaching them to stand on? You know, it's the solid foundation, it's the word of God, it's the gospel of Christ. And do you know that even in the churches that I would say need a little further examination, when you look at those main things, they look all right. But when you get down into some other areas, it looks sketchy. And you know, there's a lot of health, wealth, and prosperity theology going on in the cracks and crevices of a lot of churches. So be careful. It's just a warning. Be careful. I hope you could tell your kids, continuing the things that you've learned, that I've taught you. Paul told Timothy, look, look what he didn't say. He didn't say, look, do something different. What does he say? Continuing the things you've learned. You were taught the right things. Well, not only does continuing in the book point to the fact that he was taught right things, but continuing in the book means there's wisdom that leads to salvation. Notice what it says in verse 15. He says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Salvation is through what? Who said that? Faith. Do you see anything else there? Do you see anything else there? Paul says the sacred writings, which for Timothy would have been the Old Testament, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So there's two things there. 
Number one, salvation is only through faith. And it's only through faith in Christ Jesus and what Christ Jesus did for you on the cross at Calvary and paying for your sins. Paul emphasizes that it's by faith alone which brought to my mind what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4 because the sacred writings that he refers to here in this passage, he's talking about the Old Testament. And so I was thinking about Romans chapter 4 and then it brought me back to Genesis chapter 15. Notice what Paul says in Romans, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works... He is something to boast about, but not before God. How is a man justified? Well, he answers the question. Well, what does the scripture say? <laughs> and he goes back to the Old Testament. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham did what? Believed. It strikes me that there's nothing else there. It's belief. And somehow, some way, in the church today, there are so many mixed messages when it comes to how is one saved. But the Bible tells us salvation is by what? Grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. Well, there has to be something else. Man has to do something. When Paul was asked by the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved, what did he say? What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Then why do people add to it? Why are there additions to that? Do you know, have you thought about that? Because I think man just thinks, I have to do something. The reality is that it's by faith alone and Christ alone, plus nothing else. Man's not justified by his works. He's justified by faith. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for believe that is used here carries the thought of being propped up and supported or carried by God. I think you and I understand the issue of faith. But there was a missionary, a Scottish missionary in the mid-1800s, who was translating scripture for the South Sea Islanders. Now listen to this. His name was John Patton. He was unable to find a word in their vocabulary for the concept of believing, trusting, or having faith. He had no idea how he would convey that to them. One day while he was in his hut translating, a native came up to where he was in his study upstairs. And he said to Patton, It's so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. Immediately, Patton had his word. Faith is resting your whole weight on the Lord. Is that what we did? You know, the rest of that story is pretty awesome if you read about what happened with John Patton. When he translated that word, 
for that, for that tribe, many came to trust Christ. Once they understood what they had to do, put their whole weight on the Lord. Isn't that awesome? How the Lord uses something so small for something so big. <laughs> so, the scriptures bring salvation. The scriptures are God-breathed. Notice what he says in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. They're God-breathed. This is the doctrine of inspiration. The inspiration of scriptures. This definition that I have here by Charles Caldwell Ryrie was given to me when I was at Southeastern Bible College. It's just a tremendous definition of inspiration. The scriptures are God-breathed. What does that mean? Inspiration is God, as he defines it, is God superintending of human authors so that using their own individual personalities. And do their personalities come out in their writings? Answer, yes. You take Luke, for example. Luke was what? A physician. When you read Luke and you read Acts, he is very detailed. Doctors better be detailed, right? So he says, by definition, it's God superintending of human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs his revelation to man. Is that still believed a lot today? Not so much. You know, it's interesting how when something is questioned, that the Lord, you know, because he's all-knowing, knew that was coming down the pike. Like, for example, what's one of the most questioned books in the Old Testament? Jonah. What does the Lord do with that? He speaks about it. So, when you come to something like this, which is an essential, essential doctrine of the faith, you have then not only verses like this, but then you have verses like this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Look what it says. Peter writes, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy, look at this, was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You know what? That closes it for me. How about you? It doesn't close it for a lot of people. And, you know, it, it's like this, I think, a lot of times when we run into people who, who may not, who may just say, oh, it's just man's book. Man wrote it. But what we need to do is not back away and go, well, I don't really know what to say. We just let the Word of God speak. Because faith is the issue. It's the issue. It's belief. Believing this is God's book. And there's plenty of evidence that it is. Um, so Peter expresses it this way. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So this is God's word. So you know what we get to do today? Open God's word. It's his message for us. Spoken through men who use their personalities to record these things for us. I like what A.W. Pink says about this doctrine. He says, the word inspire signifies to inbreathe. 
and breath is both the means and evidence of life. For as soon as a person ceases to breathe, he is what? Dead. <laughs> Look at this next statement. The word of God then is vitalized by the very life of God. And therefore it is a living book. This is a living book. This is a living book. Men's books are like themselves, dying creatures. Now, I'm not saying don't read these other books. Read them. But not to the neglect of this book. Men's books are like themselves, dying creatures. But God's book is like himself. It lives and abides forever. And we know that. We know it's alive. We know it's living. How many times have you been in a situation where you're like, man, Lord, I really need a verse and, and it just comes. I mean, my first question when I was being interviewed in New York State for the job of associate pastor, Christian education director, I'll never forget it. And I don't remember how long it had been before I had even looked at that scripture. And I was trying to prep as much as I could when I went to interview for the position but I wasn't expecting this question first. It was given to me by Tim Crosby. He graduated from Grace Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana. And he looked at me and he had glasses and he, he would always look there. Well, he was a teacher. He said, Thad, what is your understanding of church discipline as it relates to Matthew 18? I want you to know what happened in me. I was like, Matthew 18, church discipline, Lord help. You know what he did? He helped me. I'll never forget, after I, I didn't tell them this, but after I answered that question, I was like, Lord, how in the world do I thank you for the recall? The author of Hebrews says it's living and active for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart that's comforting right but it's also convicting This is one simple way this happens, right? We walk in on a Sunday morning and we're all greeting one another and everybody's doing grand. As you're, have you ever had this happen to you where you're walking and somebody says, how you doing? I'm doing great. And then you're like, okay, I just didn't tell the truth. The Lord knew I'm not doing so hot. So you know what, I would encourage us to do something. Let's just be honest. You know what I'll do? Make somebody, some people will fall over. Because <laughs> when you say, I'm not doing too great this morning, they're going to go, what's next, right? What do you say after that? You ever thought about that? This ought to be an encouragement to us when it comes to witnessing. You know, especially those maybe who don't have the gift of evangelism and struggle for words. That's why those Gospel of John's are so great. Just give them the book. 
It's living and active. They don't know that, right? I was told by somebody one time when I was doing a funeral, they didn't want me to use the Bible. They said, Dad, I really don't, said, I don't really want you to use the Bible. It, that, that, funerals aren't for that saving stuff. I said, okay. I was trying to think, man, Lord, what am I going to say now? He said, I'll, he said, I'll tell you what, you can just read Psalm 23. Man, I was smiling ear to ear. I was like, I can do that. And I honored his word. I read Psalm 23. But man, it's in there. The gospel's in Psalm 23. It's living and it's active. Well, it's profitable as well. And that's what he goes to next. He says it's useful. It's not only inspired, but it's useful. He says all scripture, verse 16, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Um, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Oswald Chambers says, God's book is packed full of overwhelming riches. They are unsearchable. The more we have, the more there is to have. You agree with that? That's why that 23-day thing is pretty good. You can make it 21 days or 30, I don't care. He says it's profitable for teaching. That's the word doctrine. Um, the focal point is learning the things of God. So one of, the, one of the challenges that parents have is, how do I disseminate God's word to my children? Read them the book. That's how. Read them the book. Yeah, but they're not going to understand. It's okay. Read them the book. There's no substitute for the book. And now there's so many helps out there nowadays for children, for youth. You ought to be able to find something. It's profitable for teaching, learning the things of God. I was doing some research on that, and I ran across this quote from Wayne Barber, and I thought it was so appropriate. Look at what he says. Never before has the world been so desperately seeking answers to crucial questions. True? True. The modern attitude is, Father, forgive us, for we do not know what we are doing, and please don't tell us. He says, many today in the church want a word from the Lord. I thought this was pretty profound. But not the word of God. Right? How many, many times have you heard somebody say, I just need a word from the Lord? Man, there's a bunch of words. But it's like that buffet you go to, right? Which they don't have too many of those these days. Which I don't mind too much. But when they had buffets, right? When I went to Shoney's, Shoney's used to have a buffet. Y'all like Shoney's? Young people, y'all don't even know what Shoney's is? It's a place you could stay in some, some places. And, th and then it's a place you eat. And listen to me, young people. They had, listen, they had eggs on this buffet. They had potatoes on this buffet and my favorite thing they had french toast sticks any of you like those french toast sticks on that buffet when it comes to the word some people kind of like want to pick their favorite things you know one of the hardest subjects today in the church divorce and remarriage <laughs> when was the last time you heard a sermon on that 
Not too often. God has some things to say. And we can at least say this, that there's a lot of divorce that goes on in our culture, right? And a lot of divorce that goes on in the church, right? What does God say? That's a tough one. In fact, I had a guy that called me, one of a friend of mine. He said, that, he's a pastor friend. He said, when's the last time you talked about the subject of divorce and remarriage? I said, I can't remember. It's just one of those subjects that's like, hot. At the end of the day, though, don't we want to know at least what God says about it? Because there does seem to be in the church at times, and certainly true in our culture, where people just want out of marriage. I'll try it. God has some specific things to say. I think we should be familiar with them. Well, he goes on to write, In a world where, there, where the only absolute is that there are no absolutes, there is little room for the authoritative word of God. Pretty good. He says, not only is it profitable for teaching, but for reproof. This word describes the process of bringing something to light. And that's what the word does. It brings to light information, things that we need to know. Proverbs 15.32, he who neglects discipline despised himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Reproof doesn't sound too good, does it? That sounds like, ugh. But the reality is, this is why discipleship is so important. When a person first gets saved, are they going to understand everything that God has to say about life? No. So many times what happens is they get saved and they're just thrown out. But the reality is, is that when a person gets saved, they need to be discipled in the things of the Lord so they can understand what the mind of the Lord is. This is what I want for your life. In describing reproof, Puritan Thomas Watson asked one question. How shall one know that there is love for the reproofs of the word? <laughs> love for the reproofs of the word. He says, number one, when there is a desire to sit under teaching that is without apology for what God has said. So, that's good, good thought. The second one is this, when there is a desire that the word would meet with our sins. I like this example. When I was growing up, one of the, the issues that I faced as a young man was my speech. The way I talk, right? The language I use. And I will say to you, as a young man, there were things that I said that were not glorifying to the Lord. In fact, I could just say, there were sin. Young men tend to struggle with their mouths. Now, I'm not saying young ladies don't. I saw a few that did when I was growing up. But young men do. 
But it's one issue that all of us in this room face, right? So being careful with the things that we say. Well, does the Word of God shed light on that subject for us? It does. And I love the verse, Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth. Now, if you're looking for like wiggle room in that, there isn't any. He, he, he just says, let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth. That word unwholesome means rotten. In other words, let nothing rotten come out of you. Right? Let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is what? Good for necessary edification according to the need of the moment. And I want to say to you, I don't talk like I did when I was, oh, 13 or 14. But do you know that when you get older, language is still an issue? How I many of you knew that? And don't think about it in terms of four-letter words. But sometimes I can be demeaning with my speech. I can say things that certainly aren't glorifying to the Lord. So, it's profitable for reproof, for correction. This word means to restore to an upright position. Culturally, it was used to put a fallen object back in its position. It was also a medical term referring to a bone that was being made straight again. Quick example of that. So the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction. There's times in the church where correction is needed. One example of that word is Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 and the picture is of a brother or a sister in a ditch they're not doing well it says brethren if anyone is caught in any trespass you who are spiritual restore that's the word restore bring them back to an upright position now you're not going to do that on your own but the Lord's going to use you maybe to help do that you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So it's not like this. Get over here. What are you thinking? It's, hey, let me talk to you about what's going on in your life. Let's just see. What does God say about that? How does that look? Right? So notice what he says. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And then here's some admonition. Each one looking to yourself. So that you too will not be tempted. What does that do? It deals with the issue of pride. That says, hey, I'm better than you and I'm helping you up and there's nothing in my life. And the reality is, we're all one step away from failure. So it's profitable for correction. And then lastly, he says it's profitable for training in righteousness. And the word Paul uses here means to provide instruction. And it's even the idea of correction with children. That's how the word was used in that culture in order to develop them. And that training started when they were young. That's why you have sections of scripture like Deuteronomy 6. 
where it talks about teaching children the scriptures. In context, it is the upbringing and handling of the spiritual child who is growing into maturity and needs direction. So what does that just absolutely lead to? Discipleship. It's so imperative that men and women who come to know Christ are discipled, that boys and girls who come to know Christ are discipled. The benefits are tremendous. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, the benefits of the word in your life are these. The benefits of the word for others are these, Timothy. And then he tells him in verse 17 these words. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. So there's a reason that we stay in the scriptures, that we remain in the word. And this is great news. God wants to use you for his glory. That's what he wants. I read a story by Howard Hendricks. He once asked a group of businessmen, if you didn't know any more about your business or profession than you know about Christianity after the same number of years' exposure, what would happen? One man replied, they'd ship me out. He was right. Hendricks goes on to write, The reason God can't use us more may well be that there's not a strong commitment to being equipped for the master. Guys, listen. It is a privilege to open God's word and to study it. But there's a purpose to it. The Lord wants to equip us so he can use us. He wants to equip you so he can use you in the church, right? Where how many people don't know that in God's church? God wants to use you. You know, Sarah's talking earlier about the YWAMers when they come. And, and some of them, I mean, they might not have the background of Sarah. They might not have had the training and the upbringing. And so they're like blown away by some of the things. But the Lord is using Sarah in that capacity, right? All that training that, she, that happened when she was young, she's using that training. And she's now equipping others. And God wants to use you. He wants to use you right where you are, ultimately for his glory. So you know what I say in closing? Let's eat God's word together. Let's eat it together that we might grow in our relationship to him and that we might come to better understand what he wants for our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you to know that your word does not return void. And that the opportunities you give us to, to read and to study and the opportunities, Lord, you give us to disseminate your word to others is a privilege. It's a blessing. 
It's a blessing for all of us to be able to open up your book. I think we live in a culture where people aren't as much as needed. They're not going to the book for the answers. And when I say in our culture, I mean church culture. And I, I think it's kind of become old-fashioned to go to the scriptures in some places. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to stay in tune with you and your word. Help us not to move away from the things that we've known. Just like Paul told Timothy, he just said, continue in the things you've learned. And so it's not a different message. There's not a different gospel. There's not a different will that you have for our lives. Specifically, you've told us the things you want us to do. And so I just pray that we would be obedient to that. And that your spirit would guide us and lead us. And that when we fail, that we would confess that. Many, many days I confess failure. But I'm thankful to know, Lord, that you hear me. And that you have forgiven me. And that you continue to desire that fellowship. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged to remain in your word on a regular basis. And all this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Guys, uh, scripture says that we love him because he first loved us. And uh, this song uh, glorifies him, and it's about him, and it's one of my favorites. You guys listen to the words. Above all others, 
stand and close in prayer. Lord, again, your word is um, it's powerful, it's sharp, it penetrates, it's, it's cutting. It's cutting at times doesn't feel good. God, help us to um, notice when you're cutting and you're, you're just changing things in our lives you're bringing things to our to just a point where we're aware of what's going on and and lord i pray that you would help us to know that when that's happening you're doing that because you love us and um and we lord we have a tendency me foremost to get off the trail so i need your cutting from your word that it provides I'm thankful it does that, and I'm thankful at the same time it reminds me that my God never changes, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that one day I will see my Lord and Savior face to face in all his glory. So as we are being molded and changed by you, help us not to grow weary of that, but help us to be thankful, because it is true that fathers who love their children discipline their children. And Lord, you love us, so you chasten us. You tell us that in your word. So we're thankful for that chastening, and yet, Lord, we acknowledge that it's hard. But thank you, Lord, that you do that because you love us, and we can rest in that. Make us aware, Lord, of the opportunities we have this week to represent you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.